Bike Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse 95. Hello, Allah, and welcome to Life Beats with me, Sally Musa. Apple, Google, and Netflix don't require employees to have four-year degrees, and this could soon become an industry norm. So then what are the world's top companies looking for when it comes to education? And are university degrees becoming obsolete? What are the skills that we need to future-proof both ourselves and our kids? I'm about to be joined by futurist and author John Sane, as well as Harvard educator Alan Cohen as we talk the future of education. All of that and so much more is coming up here on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats with Sally Musa only on Pulse95. Students and parents assume that getting a four-year degree and taking on the thousands of dollars of student loan debt that comes with it is the only way to get a foot in the door at top companies like Apple, Google and Netflix. But increasingly, that isn't the case. Prominent business leaders such as Siemens USA CEO Barbara Humpton and Apple CEO Tim Cook are already questioning the need for four-year degrees altogether. So Tim Cook recently said that about half of Apple's US employees last year included people who did not have four-year degrees. He said that many colleges do not teach the skills business leaders need most in their workforce like coding. Now prominent companies like Google and Apple are hiring employees who have the skills required to get the job done or without a degree. LinkedIn found that many of today's hottest companies to work for do not require that employees have a college degree and they also identified specific positions more likely to be filled by non-college graduates including electronic technicians, mechanical designers and marketing reps. So in the age of exponential change, AI and automation, where does all of this leave the future of education? So joining me in the LifeBeat studio is founding member of Clarion School and co-chair emeritus, Principal Centre Advisory Board at the Harvard University Graduate School of Education, Alan Cohen. So good to have you back. Sally, good to be here. (laughs) And for the first time, I'm joined by futurist and author of Foresight, John Sane. John travels the globe to uncover the lessons needed to uplift communities and help humanity to thrive. And he is Africa's first faculty member at Singularity University in San Francisco, a lecturer at Duke Corporate Education in Johannesburg and a partner associate at the Copenhagen Institute of Future Studies in Denmark. John, so great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Wonderful to be here. Now, John, I'd love to start by asking your thoughts on what the likes of Tim Cook and others are saying about the way that education is currently run and how, in fact, it needs to change. Well, I mean, I think obviously Tim Cook is leading one of the world's greatest businesses and would be at the cutting edge of that. But I think before we speak about education, I want to talk about the structure of business and why that's changing. And if we tackle that first, we'll understand that the type of person we need to prepare for the new type of businesses obviously need to be different. The world we come from was very much focused on supply and demand and economies of scale were what we needed to focus on. And in order to do that, we needed a understanding of a type of education to keep growing profits and keep cutting costs. Mm -hmm. But we are now moving into a world where business is about curate, facilitate and match 
In other words, how do we curate products? How do we match them to the consumer? And how do we facilitate it as easy as possible? And economies of scale is now being replaced by economies of learning. How quickly can you unlearn to relearn? How quickly can you preempt what your customers want? And this new skill set requires adaptability and not linear ways of thinking. And so the whole concept of business is changing, meaning that we need to be fitting into this new curate, match and facilitate business model. And so obviously the skills that are required are much more about adaptability than linear ways of thinking. And absolutely our schools are not prepared to do that. Our schools are training children with the factory model. And, and that's really problematic with businesses today. Um, there are a lot of issues that why we're, why we're moving towards um, looking at businesses as being the new universities. And what they're able to do is pivot on the drop of a dime, whereas bureaucracies, the universities, can't do that. Now, will Harvard, Yale, Oxford, will they be there forever? Yes. Will schools be there forever? Yes, but they need to train, change dramatically. Schools, um, just because of the economy, we need some place for children to go while their parents work. All right, that's, that's just a given. But what I see for the future, and John, I want your opinion on this, I see less teachers, more computers. I love the idea of digital Aristotle. All right. I think that's really where we're going. The universities and the chancellors in universities really have to be shaken by what's happening in business. Business is moving in, in a speed that universities can't move in. This is, this is so interesting. There's a lot to unpack there of what you've just both touched on in terms of the way that business is changing and, and what I'm hearing, uh, and, and I want you to expand on what you're talking about as well, Alan, but um, what I'm hearing from you, uh, John, is that it's not so much about you know uh, teaching the, the new technology that is happening here. It is not about changing what is being taught. It's about changing the mindset of how things are being taught. Well, you know, the thing is, is I think society and our parents are at fault for forcing kids to follow in their footsteps because the world that the kids are going to be living in is very different to where our parents come from. And I don't think our parents are being malicious in any way. I just think it's what they understand the driving force from the baby boomers has always been safety and security. But the world we're moving into right now does not require surplus education doesn't require surplus degrees because we all know that that's been commoditized. There are so many great accountants, so many great lawyers, so many great engineers, they're all great. And so what do we need to do is we need to awaken curiosity. We need to shift the way we go about educating ourselves in what makes us most curious. Now, when we take on that ability to be making decisions through curiosity, we naturally move towards what makes us most excited. And in that space, we can then follow tech, then follow what it is that brings us curiosity into the fruition into the modern world so adaptability will always be based on your personal curiosity and signature so I think the future of education and these organizations want people that are switched on not people that are switched off and have a degree because most people think because they have the degree they can now relax and continue living their lives in what I call the expert problem I think the world has too many experts too many clever people and as Einstein said a clever person solves a problem a wise person avoids it 
I agree um, with what you're saying, John. And I think what's happening is um, the way we're educating children is not what is needed for the 22nd century. You're the expert when it comes to business. But I have a lot of friends that are executives in the Fortune 500 companies, and we're talking about what what they need for the 22nd century. My understanding is by 2030, 85% of the jobs globally have not been invented yet. Mm -hmm. And what made you and I successful? Well, I'll talk about me. What made me (laughs) successful, and I was a history major, was my great memory. I sat, I got, and I regurgitated, and I forgot. What children need for the 22nd century now is teamwork, collaboration, Mm. soft skills, Mm. empathy, Mm. sympathy, eye contact, be able to articulate both verbally and and, um, digitally. And those are important skills to have. And unfortunately, what I see, Sally and John, in most schools, that's not happening. We're still preparing children using the factory model. Mm. I love that, um, you know, you've brought that in because these are the skills that we often don't think about. We hear so much about technology in the fourth industrial revolution that we forget that it is actually about who we are in our humanity that is actually going to get us further ahead. And we're going to talk about that uh, coming up in just a moment. But I also want to come to the, the role that technology does in fact play. You were saying we're going to be seeing less teachers, more technology in the classroom, how that is going to look like and how that is going to play out. There's a lot more to this discussion here on Life Beats on Pulse 95. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. Yes, we are back with Alan Cohen and John Sane. They are here with us uh, talking the future of education. Um, and Alan, you started talking to us about what future classrooms are going to look like and and, um, something that we are going to get to as well. I want to cover a few different bases around this topic because, um, you know, we want to talk about what schools are going to look like, universities, adult education. Because, John, when I spoke to you about this topic and I brought it up, you said, well, we need to be thinking about adult education in this arena as well. So we're definitely going to get to that. So, Alan, let me come to you and, and ask you to expand on the points that you mentioned earlier around what the classroom of the future is actually going to look like. So before I do that, and that's a great question, um, I want to go back to the factory model and why it's not working. Um, Classrooms, most classrooms today have a sage on the stage, um, and children are coloring inside the lines. Mm. Um, Children sit there passively and they memorize facts and they regurgitate it. It's not working. It's not working in, in, in schools today, and it's absolutely not working for the 22nd century. What we need, and what I'm excited that I'm here uh, in this region right now, is because we're doing something really innovative for the region. Um, we're looking at children's passions and interests. We're igniting curiosity. Um, usually, it's shut down by age five, children's interests. Isn't it funny that children up to age five have loads and loads of questions? Why, why, how, how, why, how? And then after five, after being in school a bit, it's shut down. So their, their curiosity is, is just, just closed. Imagination, we're looking for, we want visionaries. We want 
entrepreneurs. Those are the things that we want to do. We want to make life relevant to children, what's happening in their lives. We want that to happen in school. We want them to be, we want them to be critical thinkers, not only problem solvers. All schools say they want problem solvers. I don't want problem solvers. I want problem finders. Mm. Um, also, what's really important, and I'm really concerned about it, is grit and perseverance. Failure is a wonderful opportunity to learn. Mm. On my desk, I have an eraser that is almost a foot long, and it says, I make the biggest mistakes. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> so that's where I see classrooms going. Um, I see children learn best from each other. Teachers are facilitators, and, and they give um, prompts to children to investigate the idea of a flipped classroom. Are you familiar with what a flipped classroom is? Yeah. Okay. Tell us what, what a flipped classroom for John? those who... No, no, go ahead. Okay, yeah. so a flipped classroom is doing totally opposite. Instead of te the teacher doing a 12-minute lecture on, on something and then you going home and doing homework, all right, you listen to a tape of a 12-minute lecture, and then you come into school, so the classroom is flipped, yeah. and you're doing your homework in school, so it's very personalized. You know, schools just don't work, Sally. For really bright kids, they're losing out. They're lost. And for really, for kids that are having difficulty, those kids are lost. So we need to make sure that that learning is personalized and individualized. Mm. And I'm really excited to say at Clarion we're doing it. And this is what what you're talking about because you know parents think, me included, sometimes you kind of go, okay, well my child could have learned that on a YouTube video. We're kind of in that age where knowledge is everywhere. Knowledge is just you know one of those things that. Okay, so do you actually, like you said, it's being flipped now. Do you really need the classroom anymore? You know, are there other ways of learning that are actually way more beneficial? I'd love to get your thoughts on this one, uh, well, John. I think um, the concept of informal learning yeah. comes to mind. And um, I often lecture at universities and speak to organizations and I don't have a degree. And I say it on stage quite often and I say, look, I'm here because of my absolute fascination with my topic and I've utilized informal education to upgrade my thinking and I've positioned myself as a thought leader because of my fascination. And I think that this opportunity, as Alan said, to keep curiosity alive in the classrooms would be the number one thing we could be doing for the kids so that they can continually be doing the training based on their own self-motivation, based on their own curiosity. So how do we find that though? So let's, let's talk about that because creativity, cultivating curiosity, I just hear that so much all the time mm. now. Mm. Because like you said, Alan, Every child is born curious. Mm. They're born with endless wonder and you just want to see, you just want to do, and then you lose it mm. as you go to school. Mm. So how do we how do we get that back? So this is a question for, for, for the two of you. Well, yeah. I think for me, the firstly, the parents are the people that are stuck in the old understanding of what needs to happen. I, I use this quote on uh, one of my talks. It says, I'll never choose a career path for my children. It's their responsibility to choose whatever medical school they'll want to graduate from. <laughs> and this concept is based on 
parents on logical decisions. I mean, if you have a daughter that wants to be an actress, the father would very quickly say, no, don't worry about being an actress. Go and be a doctor. I mean, that's what the family needs. It's you have no egotistical. Idea. It's fantastic for us. And then How the daughter, many people that come through the yeah, studio yeah. who are doing incredible things yeah. in creativity yeah. have said to me, I, I was a lawyer. Yeah. I was a doctor. Of course. Of course. And I hated it. Yeah. And I had to change. But the problem there is, is that our parents are stuck in accomplishment, not purpose. And so what happens is we feel that if we are accomplished, we've arrived. But how many people do you know that have got the fancy car, the fancy business, the fancy title that are desperately unhappy? And so this world that we're moving into right now, I call it a transition phase. You know, we've come from the agricultural times, we've gone into the industrial times, and now we're moving into the quantum times. And if you think about the skill set that was required in agricultural times, it was very much our hands, our power, understanding of the soil and the seasons. In industrial times, it was very much about understanding frameworks, languages, and process uh, degrees that were necessary. In the quantum times, it's going to be based on individual curiosity. So the world we're moving into is halfway in between the future and halfway stuck in the past. And this transition phase is where we are right now. That's why there's so much con um, confusion and so much anxiousness. And people don't know whether they should rip their kids out of school, but then what would they do? And so this is a transition phase. And this will slowly but surely start to phase into what we're going into over the next 10 years. But you asked the question around the classroom of the future. And I think what we need to look at is what Internet 2.0 looks like and what Internet 2.1.0 was was about data communication social and search internet 2.0 is about data machine learning blockchain and biotech and we're moving into this whole new world where the internet won't be taking instructions from us but giving us instructions you just said like i think a whole bunch of things the parents are like i don't know what any of that means uh, okay <laughs> you know when you talk about blockchain still a mm. lot of people don't understand that but that will form the structure of a lot of how we work in the world, how yes. we transact in the world and, and how we behave and, and do in the world. But I think blockchain needs to be, um, first, first you need to speak about data mm. and the incredible rise in sensors that will pick up everything from the way you smell, the way you eat, the way you sound, the, everything. So every sensor will become really, really intelligent and we'll have billions of them and trillions of them everywhere. Based on top of that data is machine learning that will be able to categorize and contextualize that information to create seamlessness and personalization for us. And then on top of that, you have blockchain. So you need to layer them so you can understand blockchain. But can I just give one example of blockchain that could make sense to people? And then, Alan, I don't want to hoard the mic here, but blockchain for me could be very easily described like if you and your colleagues have ever worked on a Word document, and what you've done is move that Word document between you and your colleagues and you've all worked on it and worked on it and eventually some people start saving it as final 1.1, final 1.2, 1 1.8, 16.5. Nobody even knows where the final thing is anymore. Nobody knows anything about what's now happened. It's become confusing. And then this thing arrived called Google Docs. You're right. And then Google Docs arrived and there was one document that was saved. Everybody, whoever added to it, it's now tracked back to you. It's in the public eye, it's transparent, it's immutable. Once it's done, it can't be undone. That's what every transaction is going to be based on in the future. No matter if you transacting one cent or one billion dollars whether you're doing it between you and a machine or a machine and a machine blockchain will change the way we interact based on data machine learning and seamlessness so if you don't understand them that's a dangerous place to be because there's a thing called the internet and there's full of lectures that you need to be exposing yourself to and this is called adult learning 
because if you're not exposing yourself to it, you are not understanding the language required for Internet 2.0. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's, it's very hard to wrap your head around that, that, that but I'd like to bring it back to, to where people can, can get a feel for it. Uh, in the United States, approximately 23% of the population are children. And that's 100% of our future. Mm, nice line. Yeah. So what are we doing? Um, I, like to, I, I, I like to base myself in research. And, and there are two people that really come to mind when we talk about this. Carol Dweck mm, with, gro- with Growth Mindset. Um, and Daniel Pink with his version of Motivation right. 3.0. Yeah. All right, which are really exciting, Sally. Um, growth mindset is really you determining your destiny. Mm-hmm. All right, and it would be very sad if you couldn't determine your destiny. A fixed mindset is you're you're born with a certain IQ. Right. You have certain certain abilities and traits from your DNA, and that's it. You're not going anyplace. And most schools, all right, historically have tracked children according to their IQ which is very, very sad. A growth mindset is that I can get better and better with practice. And that's exciting. Hold that thought. We're going to come back and, and talk a bit more about how we need to integrate that more into our schools. Lots more to come here on Life Beats on Pulse95. This is Pulse95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. Talking the future of education with Alan Cohen and John Sane. They are here with me in the studio and quite a discussion. And um, something you touched on, uh, Alan, just before we went to break was um, the, the whole idea of, of how we think is, is so important that needs to be, you know, uh, what the, the way that children are being taught now into school. So ju- just elaborate a little bit more about that. So, uh, Sally, you know, it's, it's really an education first about parents. Offline, we were talking about this. And it's very difficult to have a conversation with a parent and say that what made you successful is not going to make your child successful. It's not about page 53 in the math book. What got you here isn't going to get you there. You as, uh, got it. Marshall Goldsmith. Likes you to got say. it. So, so basically, the way children are taught is very different than the way you and I were taught, mm. and and we were talking about this. But it's parents did it. Their parents did it to them, and their parents did it to them. And we have to keep up with the Joneses, and we have to when we talk about what your child is reading. I mean, it's very inappropriate to have a two-year-old writing. It's not age appropriate. Oh, but all the parents are like, oh, but little Johnny can you know write his he, name. He, he can write right. his name and read a book. Mm-hmm. And I know what I say. That child is not reading. That child is a parrot. All right. There's a big difference between between comprehending what you're reading and being a parrot and memorizing. And that's words. what kills the creativity. That's what kills the wonder. Absolutely. That's where it is. But um, uh, John, I want to come back to you. Uh, you m- mentioned that the way that the we are moving into a quantum world, um, out of a linear kind of way of thinking. What does that actually mean when you're talking about you know the quantum way of thinking? 
I think we're becoming much more aware of what quantum science is starting to prove to us around how what's being observed is changing by who's observing it. This is brand new, you know, it's for us to take this on board, the responsibility for us projecting onto reality and creating it as we want was nothing our parents ever had access to because Newtonian science never said anything like this. Newtonian science had a concept of um, you, 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 you made an impact and then you had a result a little bit further on. Now what it's all about, quantum science is proving to us that you have an impact straight away of whatever you're looking at. And so the question I want to ask you is, have you ever wanted to buy a new car and then you see it everywhere? Yes. Yes. So who did that? You uh, did that. My brain did exactly. that. Exactly. Because I started doing thinking that, about it all Well, the now time. what happens? You do that everywhere. And so this responsibility that we have in the quantum time is to really let go of our past and to become led by curiosity rather than by tradition. And so for me, quantum times is this ability for us to step into this future as much more powerful human beings as we ever even knew we were possible just one generation ago. Mm. So quantum is very much based on science and what science is proving at the moment. If you know Dr. Joe Dispenza, you'll know that on the cutting edge of quantum science, we're all realizing that we are incredibly powerful beings. And so the concept of scarcity and safety and security was an internal structure that many of us made up for ourselves based on what society had created around us. So quantum is proving this totally wrong. There's a great line that Dr. Joe Dispenza says, it says, your personality creates your personal reality. And in other words, there's some people who make lots of money no matter what's going on in the economy and lots of people don't make money no matter what's going on in the economy. And what is that? That is your personal construct relationship with money and understanding quantum at a very basic level. So for me, quantum times is about the responsibility or the ability we have to respond to our reality rather than react to it. And it feels like it's a lot about mindset. You know, this is really at the center of, of what you're talking about here. It's about perspective. perspective. And perspective is based on memories. And memories are based on beliefs. And we have to clean up and get rid of things that are keeping us stuck in patterns that are keeping us linear. And in education, what we always focus on is skilling ourselves up with better degrees or better understandings of technology, but are we ever talking about the patterning that is created based on our beliefs, on our perspectives and our memories? So in other words, you can have the most amazing job, but you always have a boss that disrespects you. You can go and work at a business and have the degree, but you always feel like you're being underpaid. Those are patternings based on your belief systems, based on your memories. And for me, education needs to be focusing much more on these things rather than the hard stuff. You've tapped into something that um, doesn't get taught in schools at all. Doesn't get taught at Zero. all. Zero. Yes. University is nowhere. So where do we get that from? How do we rewire all of that? Well, what first thing we need to do is become aware of quantum. Firstly, become aware that you can't just take responsibility for the cool things that happen to you. Like every time you want to buy a new car, you see it everywhere. That's a cool thing. But what about all the things that you don't like that's going on in your life? Are you going to take responsibility for switching those things up? Or do you understand that you complaining about something is just creating more of it? Do you understand that we don't see things as they are, but we see things as we are? Do you understand that we're projecting onto things? So these sort of topics are out there. But if we don't fix this patterning, all the education in the world is pointless, really. This is so big. This is like, wow, that is a big, big point. Um, <laughs> Alan? So I want to bring it back to, to, to 
where I feel comfortable sure, in. Sure. And that's, um, you know, educational innovation uh, is way under-invested invest- in, all right, for numerous reasons. I mean, the R&D money, where does that come from? Mm. All right. Um, and traditional degrees must be challenged. All right. We must think more disciplinary. Science must cross over with philosophy. Business must cross over with education. I mean, we were talking offline about what we're doing at Harvard, and I'm really proud of the work. Um, the business school and the and the graduate school of education created an online certificate for leadership. Yes. All right. Which was, and I just finished beta testing, and I I, I did module one and module two. Module one is um, a case study of the school that I led in Bronx, New York, um, and in module two, it's really about leading people, leading organization, all right, and leading change. And that's really exciting. And and the idea of both bus- the business world and the and educational pedagogy combined really makes good sense. And this is all moving online now that yes. you're talking about? Yes, online certificate. Okay. And why is that? Talk to us about why Harvard is moving in that direction. Um, one, it's, it's, it's a moneymaker. It's a moneymaker for them. Mm. Um, they also want to be uh, have a global reach, and this allows them to have a global reach. So it just makes good sense. Plus, they're looking at the business world, and John, you mentioned it. I mean, um, Ernst, EY has its own university. Um, McDonald's has its Burger University. Mm. So, um, and college professors are not teaching. They're employees from the, that organization that are che- teaching and they're doing it at the drop of a dime. They're able to pivot where universities can pivot. And these online courses allow them to do they those pivots. They have to pivots. change. Yeah. yeah, there has to be change and there has to be change at a much faster pace than what we are already seeing. We're going to come back in just a moment um, and, and talk about, okay, what are the options then? What are the options in school? What are the options in university? What are the options when it comes to adult education as well? What should we be looking at now? More to come. This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Life Beats podcast. Life Beats with Sally Musa, only on Pulse 95. So bringing it all back here with John Sane and Alan Cohen, we need to talk about what we do now okay now that we have this information now that we understand you know um what needs to be taught and and something that we need to talk about as well is the kind of jobs we were talking about this as well again um you know off the air that there are some jobs where you will still need a university degree and there are some where uh you know in in the world of tim cook you don't really need a university degree so let's talk about alan some of those um uh, where you will still need to go to university and and others where you probably won't. Well, you know, jobs that, that need licenses like doctors and lawyers, you'll still need to go to university. And I understand why people select to go to very good universities because that creates a great network for you. And I get that. But as we've been talking about business and business taking the lead in moving, moving mm-hmm. instruction, um, universities have to change their pitch. 
the uh, you know they pitched parents give us two hundred thousand dollars because we have the highest percent of hiring at Apple at Google at IBM at Ernst Young at at Bank of America. Um, that's why you put put your kids in our school. Uh, we guarantee good jobs. That has all changed, Sally. So universities have to dramatically change. One, the speed. We spoke about that off air. Um, universities are bureaucracies, and they can't they can't drop something. They can't pivot on a dime, and that's what they need to do. And the and the use of online certificates are allowing them to pivot like that. Memory, the idea, it's no longer needed. What made you and I successful, we can Google it, YouTube it, Siri it, Alexa it. Right. We, don't, we don't need that, that, those facts anymore. We can get that on our phone. Um, companies are specializing in skill sets. All right? They're not waiting four to six years. They're doing it in four to six months. That's it. That's it. That's it. You just going in like throwing throwing someone in the deep end is just how it works now. Yeah. You're learning on the job. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's just some of the things that we we need to change and I think universities need to look at these big companies and see what they're doing and they're teaching as John said, skill sets. Mm. All right. And the idea and the idea of looking at children's passions and looking at children's interests. One of the things that we spoke about before, Sally, was universities, how to get children into universities. And I spoke about a spike. And a spike is finding a child's interest and passion and taking it to the 10th degree. If a child has an interest and passion, that's where you go with that child. That's where you move with that child. I'm not saying that you don't teach foundational skills. You do. It makes parents feel comfortable. Personally, <laughs> for the personally, page 53 in the math book is not going to make your child. Right, all right? right. But it makes parents feel comfortable. And you know what? You can't pull the rug out from them. All mm-hmm. right. Um, you can't say their their thought patterns are wrong. All right. And their parents were wrong. And their parents before them were wrong. So the idea of slowly moving that and unfolding that out all right, um, I think is really exciting right now. And I think universities are absolutely on on call now that things need to be changed. John, you don't have a degree. No. And and yeah, I was terrible at school. You're, in fact, OK, yeah, I was so terrible. exactly. Let's let's take your example. Then you're, you're somebody mm. who speaks globally at some of the world's top companies mm. um, and you go and you share your knowledge and your wisdom with them. And you teach them, and you're you're a faculty member at Singularity University. Like yeah. a lot of people, that will be hard to, for people to, to grasp. Right. Well, I think the thing is, is that um, the concept of being part and parcel of a factory line never got me excited. I wanted to rebel against it, and a lot of times I get asked why I was an entrepreneur from a very young age, and the answer always is I have daddy issues, or I had daddy issues, and I never wanted anybody to tell me to do anything, you know, because I I didn't have a father, I had to fend for myself, and to fall in line, which is what school asked me to do more than anything else, was the worst thing for my personality traits. And so I was an entrepreneur from a very young age, and through the process of being an entrepreneur and putting myself into the deep end of many different businesses, I learned a lot of lessons, and then I went back 
bankrupt when I was 30 years old. Again, that taught me so many deep lessons that I would have never gotten out of university. So for me, what I'm teaching to organizations now is based on twofold, is what I learned out of getting myself out of a depression and what that psychological process was like and then diving deeper into the quantum space. And on the second level is how do you categorize, contextualize the future in a way that makes sense for organizations to redevise who they are so that they can set up themselves to thrive rather than just survive in the future. So my fascination, my research, and I write a book every year, I'm on my fourth book now, that fascination in itself keeps me on the cutting edge and nobody has to force me to write a book. Nobody has to force me to go and research it because it's based on my fascination so my only thing to parents out there is watch what your kid is fascinated about allow them to follow that process and allow them to set up businesses online to help teach and service people out there that are looking for that and i'll give you an example a friend of mine was saying to me that they worry that their kid spends too much time on instagram and they wanted to stop them spending time on instagram and my answer to them was why don't you send them to, to learn how to actually run a business on instagram because understand that is the biggest market out there now if you don't teach them that all they're going to do is socialize but if you give them the skill set to show them how they could possibly make money on there why wouldn't you want to be doing that and so we always take these things and we demonize them rather than utilize them. And what about YouTube? Have you sent your kids to teach them how to market on YouTube? Because if your kid, let's say, loves gardening, let's say, and if your kid loves gardening, could they not be having a YouTube channel teaching people about gardening? Could they not have their own range of gloves, their own sunscreen, their own... You could extrapolate any passion, any fascination into a product range that we have right now 4.5 billion people connected to the internet and soon we'll have 8 billion people connected to the internet and all you have to really do is get 0.0001% of them to pay $1 a month and you will live very happily. And so understand the constructs have changed and when you are fascinated, when you're curious and when you're excited about your topic, you become a thought leader because you cannot help yourself but dive deep into it. I just like, you know, boom, that's it. That is it because we complain all the time parents are complaining social media is you know my child is caught up in social media well actually are we thinking about it the right way you know are we teaching our kids to think about it the right way it is a very very big one we could go on and on with this it's incredible you two are amazing alan cohen john tane what an absolute pleasure to have the two of you thank you thank you so much more to come on life beats in the second hour keep it here on pulse 95 This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 10 a.m.